Welcome to the Roll Down Podcast, hosted live on Twitch every Tuesday night. Now, here's your hosts, Cutler and Soul! Well, everyone, La Nina may be on its way to the east coast of Australia, drowning us all in months and months of summer rains. But there is a sunny future, of course, coming up, and that sunny future is the Roll Down TFT podcast. Tonight, I am joined by two absolutely wonderful gentlemen. I want to start, first of all, as I always do, with saying a big hello to my co-host, Sol. Sol, how are you? It's uh, good to be back. It is good to be back. Guys, we don't podcast as much as we used to, I know, and we're really sorry about that, but I tell you what, when we have guests like this, it's worth a little bit of a wait. I want to say a big welcome, uh, his second appearance on the show, uh, Tamura of Tamura77, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Guys, this is a special episode, because uh, sitting with me, your effervescent co-host, are two regional attendees. One of them even won the bloody thing, and we will get on to that. Believe me, we are going to talk all things regionals today. Uh, I want to start basically at the very beginning. Uh, um, you know, we're sort of going to bounce back and forth. Um, Sol, of course, you made it to day two, and uh, you know, tomorrow your result speaks for itself. But I think we're gonna we're gonna start with Sol and talk a little bit about your preparation for the event and how you got started and and i think we'll, we'll go from there so sol tell us uh, uh, tell us about tell us about regionals uh yeah sure uh so i honestly wasn't even expecting to play at regionals for starters because like i didn't play all of set seven and then i came back to play the tempest cup 7.5 which i managed to top four but i got into regionals and then the patch before the regional patch i just completely hated I was like the Zyra Seraphine patch. I just absolutely hated that patch and didn't want to play the game. And then once the regionals patch came out, we only had like a week and a half ish to prepare. And I was like pretty busy for like the first about a half of that week. So I only really had like Monday through to the Thursday to really properly prepare for regionals. Um, and so my prep was like, I mostly, I did like, I, I, I did like six, seven hours of like VOD, re- of like VOD viewing like during the day, just like mostly like watching like NA players play. And then, like, in the evening, I, I play, like, some ladder games on, like, OCE. Um, and then I, like, did a bunch of, like, looking at just, like, stats and stuff on, like, tactics and tools. Like, mostly just looking at, like, augments, uh, comps and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was pretty much my prep. <laughs> Tamura, I want to come and ask you a pretty similar question. You know, you uh, have been in the running, you know, for, for spot at regionals or at the very least high up on the championship points. Uh, radar for the season so i was wondering what your preparation was like for this uh big regionals event uh i'll be honest my preparation was like relatively limited in the sense that um uh because it's just the way my exam timetable worked out uh, i had all my assignments due around regionals so uh, i was like constantly just shifting between that like go to uni for six hours and then come home and play tft for like another six um but most of my preparation just included uh either play, playing games or watching streams. Uh, even if I say that I wasn't prepping that much, like, uh, just, like, in my downtime, like, if I ever have a spare, like, 30 minutes, I'll just, I'll be watching a streamer. 
Uh, I watched a lot of Setsuko Dish Soap. I really, really enjoyed watching Froden's VOD reviews because he VOD reviews so many different uh, regions. Mainly, he does a lot of China VOD reviews, but also uh, leading up to to regionals, he was looking at some other some other places, and I think afterwards he was looking at the Japanese regionals as well. Um, and he's always just looking at something interesting. Uh, and so, yeah, I'd, just, I'd say a lot of my preparation was mainly just watching Twitch. Um, I didn't take too many notes. Like, I take a few notes here and there, but not a whole lot. Fair enough. And uh, so you spoke a little bit about the patch going into this event. Uh, I think I, I might just simplify it for everybody when I say that uh, dragons were good going into this this regional event. Yeah. You know, if if I, could, if I can be so uh, obtuse as to say that dragons were good, I, I will leave it at that. But I, I want to um, dive back into um, into the days of regionals. So, so, so going into um, day one, I don't imagine your expectations were really to to go as far. Oh as no, as I, 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 I was just trying to get to day two. Yeah, I was, I was just trying to not get day day one. That, that was that was literally the goal. And uh, anything else? Because it was like my first. It was my first regionals, and like. It's uh the the whole like experience was like a very big jump up for me uh in terms of like my experiences in competitive TFT because like um I haven't really you know pushed too hard for like snapshots in the past or anything like that I haven't really like competed in any sort of challenger series or anything like that so it's a very sort of big jump up from the sort of open qualifiers that you know that I had played if that makes sense um playing against a lot better players play quality is much higher so yeah the games feel quite different. I'd love to um, to have you expand on that difference. Uh, so, to tell me what you mean mm. when you say that uh, there is a difference between the kind of TFT you're used to. Oh, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, like boards that are like easily like AFK, like 10, 15 win streaks, like get broken up very easily. Like at re- like once the player quality is like ramped up, like boards that like you think that like are good aren't actually as good because the other people are also good at making boards. Um, mistakes get punished like way harder. Uh, a lot of those sorts of things, yeah. Just like a lot of small things, I'd say is probably like the the best explanation. Tomorrow, do you share that um, sort of similar feeling to Soul that when it comes to kind of the high level decision making, there's such a big difference even between challenger ladder to tournament play. I uh, completely agree. I think even on ladder, especially in OS, if you're not playing at peak times, even uh, in rank like 10 or top 20, you still get a lot of master players in your lobby, especially if you're playing late at night. And so the difference between uh, open cup qualifiers uh, and ladder isn't actually that difference. Like you're playing against masters most of the time anyway, but the difference between that and challenger series or regionals is huge. Um, you'll find that in a lot of your games, stage three and four in particular, if your board isn't up to scratch, you'll get punished very, uh, very heavily. And I'll talk about it more later in the podcast, but I felt that that was like a big change to my play was not greeting Astrals as much because playing around Econ openers in Open Cup qualifiers and ladder is fine, but you really have to change your play style to be consistent um, uh, in in regionals. Interesting. Yeah. Um, look, so uh, I want to say, you know, from our perspective, of course, we've played a lot of card game tournaments before. And the number one factor when it comes to a card game tournament is uh, you want to win on day one. Day one is the most important day for a card game <laughs> tournament. That is the day yeah. that defines the rest of your weekend a lot of the time. And it's no no different in TFT in this instance. So um, if I can sort of jump a little bit to the final game, uh, you actually started day one of regionals quite slowly in comparison to... Yes, uh, my scores are not very good. <laughs> what you would Talk me sort of through that, yeah. that feeling. 
well, I mean, I guess like the upside of like going in with fairly low expectations is that like you know when you're when you're sort of down on gutter, it doesn't feel as bad. If that makes sense, like you weren't really you didn't really like put too much into it. Like if that kind of makes sense. As in like I, I wasn't like I went into this like you know not expecting like like all while knowing that you know I was probably in, like the bottom sort of quarter of players that had made it. Um, and that, you know, it's not that I don't have any faith in my ability, but it's also more that, like, you know, realistically, I am one of the weaker players. Um, so, you know, when, like, uh, I bought forward, like, a lot of, like, my early games, um, there was a bit of hope when, like, I top forward one of them, and then, uh, I, like, got really close to top forwarding a bunch, but, like, basically came fifth and sixth in a bunch, and then, so, it was, like, one game left, and, you know, like, what happens, happens, right? So, um, that, that, that was, like, pretty much, like, my mental space going into it, and, like, I, I didn't, like, put too much... Or I guess into like, oh, I need to make it, or like, oh, I need this however many points to make it. It was really just like, oh, I'm just gonna play the next game and like do what I can, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. Thank you for sharing that, Timur. I'd love to jump back to you. Let's get a bit of a contrast going here. I think personally, I'd love to hear about your day one experience. I know, of course, we'll get to sort of day three, but uh, you know, from your perspective going in. You're in a big event like this. How was your sort of mental state at, at this point? Okay, especially so being so busy. My, yeah, sorry. My day one was one of the most chaotic tournaments experience I've uh, ever experienced. Uh, because leading up to the day, I was doing a few VOD reviews, like live games, and my internet just kept cutting out uh, for the whole of like the day. Uh, so about six hours until the tournament, it was constantly just cutting out every few minutes. It turns out that there was actually a... Um, there was a planned outage and it was supposed to end exactly when the tournament started. Oh, so God. it was a little bit sketch. <laughs> yeah, so, um, Jesus. In yeah. so in preparation for regionals, I installed the tournament client, not only on my laptop as backup so I could hotspot it and run it from my laptop. I also installed it um, on my girlfriend's PC so that I could go to her house and play over there if I needed to. So I had like three, I had three outs basically. Um, <laughs> three outs? Yeah. Like a two to your three players. Three outs, you first, everyone. That is brilliant. So that was my preparation. And then it fixed itself like about two hours before tourney. So I was like, okay, I'm going to play at home. Um, and then I opened up my tournament client, even though it was working. Uh, before it was working like two hours before and it just wouldn't work and there was there was nothing i could do to make it work i tried restarting my pc like five times tried re like starting it i tried force uninstalling it but i didn't want to do that um and anyway so i ended up playing the first two games on my laptop um because that was my backup that was my first out um and so yeah so playing day one the first two games on my laptop i was just playing for a, like a top four i wasn't trying to play fancy i was playing i was hard forcing soy siphon um i I knew I was, I found a way to fix it on my main, but I had to force, I had to force quit it, force reinstall it, which meant I had to repatch, which would take me another hour or two. Um, so yeah, uh, I knew I was going to get back onto my main eventually, but it was pretty stressful because during like carousels and stuff, I was running back and forth in between my laptop and main PC, uh, like making sure that it was patching. Um, there's like a bit more to go into, but I won't ramble too much, but, uh, but, but yeah, that, it was, it was pretty stressful, not, not going to lie for the first couple of games. Uh, well, obviously, uh, you know, the rest is history, as they say. Um, I, I would love to um, sort of move on. Let's talk day two now. I, I'm going to swing back to, to you, Sol. Um, look, it wasn't a perfect day. Let's put it that way. I'd love, uh, in your words, you know, as you said, it, it, was, yeah. it, was, it was make day two, then see how we do from there. Um, let's talk a little bit about your experience. How did you feel? 
Uh, I mean, I think day two is like where like a lot of leaks, I guess, in my game plan really started to show. Um, probably like, I mean, it's been memed a lot at this point, like you know, like the four one Ashen, like I didn't play it and stuff. But I think like what was more egregious um, than that was probably how I was, um, how I was going into like treasure dragons, um, specifically uh, radiant treasure dragon. Um, I like for some reason like I just completely looked over this part of the game and like I just had like. I went in. Basically, I went into the tournament not knowing what ready items are good, if that makes sense. So, like, uh, it, 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 like, it makes a lot of sense, like, with that context when you watch, like, how I play, like, my radiant shops, where, like, I literally just, like, I'm, like, rolling past, like, this, like, radiant items, and it's just, like, what, the, what is this guy doing? Um, kind of thing. Um, but, like, that was, so that was, like, a major league for me. Like, I felt like I played, like, the other, like, two types of treasure dragons, like, fine, because, like, with those ones, it's, like, you're mostly just, like, picking out items that your teams are seeing, but, like, yeah, radiant items are really weird in that, like, uh, a lot of them is, like, a lot of them are, like, sort of, like, counterintuitive in terms of, like, how much better they are than, like, the regular versions, and, like, some of them are, like, completely transformative. Like, I think, like, a good example that, um, was pointed out to me, like, after the tournament, um, by our friend, uh, TXC, also known as Ron, is that, um, he told me that, like, yeah, if I just took radiant, uh, dragon, if I just took radiant declaw and put it on my terror, like, I was probably a guaranteed at least or two. Because the Radiant D-Claw, unlike, uh, it has, like, it scales, like, exponentially harder than, like, a regular D-Claw in terms of the healing. Um, it's, like, absolutely broken on, like, Dragon Tanks. So, like, like not even, like, not, like, not for example, like, not long something like that is, like, really, really big. But, um, so I, I feel like that was, like, the main issue for me. Um, no amount of, like, high roll was gonna, like, save my ass in those kind of games. Um, but, yeah, other, other than that, like, I think that, like, I played those... I played those games like fairly suboptimally in what were otherwise like pretty high roll spots, and I did not get there. It's a uh, interesting thing that you picked up there that I'd like to sort of speak about a little bit more, uh, and that is that at, at the stage we're at now, set seven point five, there's like four set mechanics in this set alone. There's mm. augments, dragons, and radiant items all put together all at once. Uh, and what you picked up on there when you said that, like, oh, I wasn't prepared for Radiant Items. Uh, previously, you had a whole set to be prepared for Radiant Items. You mm. knew them because they were such a common factor. Um, do you think that yeah. uh, where we are right now in TFT, I'll, I'll, I'll start with you tomorrow on this one. I'll bring you in for this. Do you think that, like, where TFT is right now, there is, like, a really high learning curve at the top level in that regard? Uh, yeah, I mean... Going off of what you just said about how there's multiple uh, set mechanics uh, all merged into one, for sure, there's a lot that you can learn, and the skill cap is uh, is obviously really high as well. Uh, in terms of the learning curve, for sure, I remember um, during, I think it was set, set 5, um, when they had shadow items, and people were complaining that that was too hard of a learning curve. Personally, I didn't really think it was too hard of a learning curve, I just didn't really like the, the mechanic. Um, I just felt that it was uh, the combinations was just was just boring. There was always a BIS for everything. All you really needed to do was supplement your shadow items with healing most of the time. Um, but you compare it to now, and yeah, even small things like that, uh, where like there's so few games where you actually have to make a distinction between which radiant items actually um, make your board a lot better than if you just had the regular item, uh, because most of the time you're not going to get radiant relics, and then sometimes you like you're only going to have one radiant item from Treasure Dragon anyway. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say uh, the learning curve is relatively high, but at the end of the day, if you're considering the learning curve, not the, uh, not the skill cap, 
Um, I still think it's uh, it's not too bad um, because of all the extra data we have. So we have like things like meta TFT, all of the overlays, all of the like tactics or tool you can use uh, statistics and just look at which is the highest place win rate. A lot of those things we didn't have back in the day. So although there's a lot more set mechanics, I feel like there's a lot more support uh, to newer players. So it's a bit of a balance. How um how do you guys feel? So I'll, I'll I'll ask this to you to begin with. How do you feel about the sort of the um, of information that we have right now? Yeah, I think that like okay, I, I'm of like two minds because like I'm kind of like in the middle in that like I can there's like I think there's like fairly clear pros and cons of having a lot of these sort of different game systems that we currently have. Um, I think that like strategy games in general need to get more and more complex as they age uh, in order to keep the current player base uh, interested. I think that if you were to not really change TFT at all, like as much as people sort of complain about uh, things like augments, things like, uh, I guess, like dragons and stuff, if you if you don't add these sort of type of mechanics and you, for example, just made every set like uh, set 5.5, which is a very good set, by the way, but it's a set that's known for being very uh, fairly simplistic, I think that the player base gets, like, bored quite quickly if every set is like that. So, like, I think it's very clear that from, like, a design perspective, um, they have to, like, they have to make, they have to keep iterating and making a bunch of new mechanics, right? Um, where I think it's tricky is, like, I think that, like, um, yeah, as mentioned earlier, like, the sort of, like, front, the amount of, like, information, like, I guess is, like, front-loaded to players can be quite high. Um, but I think that, like, for the most part, like, at the casual level, it doesn't really matter too much, like, most people at like that level are just like content with clicking buttons, so it doesn't really matter if the game is like perceived to be more complex because like there's probably still gonna have fun clicking those buttons anyway. Um, what I think is quite interesting and is quite cool is I, I think that like a lot of these these mechanics do make it so that like uh, play at the top level is very very skill testing. Um, like for example, like look, I don't think the current state of augments is perfect, but if we just think about like the amount of sort of I guess, like, decision trees that are possible with, like, augments, it's, like, huge. And then you think about uh, things like Treasure Dragon, I think, is, like, also very, very skill-testing. Like, the amount of, like, again, the amount of decision trees that are possible with a mechanic like that is also huge. But I think that, like, these things overall make TFT a more sort of um, enjoyable experience to sort of watch and also uh, compete in. Um, so I think that, like, overall, like, it's, it's a positive for the game. Interesting. Yeah, thank you for your opinion on that one. Um, we're pretty much getting, I would say, you know, we're, we're sort of on the downhill towards a new set now. Um, before we go on and, and talk about uh, day three, which will be, or day, tomorrow's day two and, and then day three, I'd love to sort of, tomorrow get your thoughts uh, on set seven as a whole and, and how you felt it, it's went, you know, set seven, 7.5. 7. Um, as a whole, when I first saw the set, I was not a big fan of the dragons. Uh, I have no idea why, just the first time I saw them, like in the in the trailers for the set, I was just I don't know. I have no idea why. Because it was like maybe it was because it was their like Colossus units, or I knew that they were. Like, uh, yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, I, yeah, I'm sure everyone's favorite mechanic for set six was Colossus. <laughs> you just yeah. saw, you just saw them as a, as a design, and on top of the fact of like all the things that like was a bit irky about them was like they weren't even dragons that you knew and loved. Like they weren't. It wasn't like oh, like you're a Lucian main and you're seeing Lucians coming to set seven, or like or like a Jinx main, or like you know that kind of feel. It was just these new like creatures that you weren't like that excited about. Um, but overall, uh, I actually really enjoyed set seven. It's probably the set that I put the most amount of hours into. I just say, I just say that uh, the biggest, um, 
the biggest issue I had with it, which was actually fixed in 7.5, was that your entire game revolved around one dragon. And so you were always leaning towards one comp, sometimes two comps. And if you hit your dragon, <clears throat> you're guaranteed top four. And if you miss, yeah, you're guaranteed bot four. Um, and especially when there was patches where there was only a few viable comps, uh, it just felt like a dragon lottery. Uh, there was a few open cup qualifiers I played in, in set seven where there was just players hitting dragons on stage three. I don't know why they ever made it so that Krugs could give you a free dragon in set seven. So half the lobby has a siphon and a soy while you're sitting there, you know, playing, um, I don't know, set or whatever your front line is. Um, and yeah, so I, re I really, really didn't like that. Um, but then when set 7.5 came out and they nerfed the dragons, um, they made it so you can play multiple on the same uh, same board and they balanced it around that. It felt a lot better because even if you didn't hit your main dragon, you could usually play around a couple of others and weave in between the two. Yeah, good answer. I think we, we share, I, I know I share your opinion in that regard. I was definitely a, a much uh, a much happier man when, when more dragons were viable and you could play more than one at a time. Um, yeah. Sol, would you, you concur with that? Um, I think that, like, I mean... Yeah, I, I, my opinion of, like, 7.0 is, like, not particularly good just because, like, I didn't play enough of it compared to a lot of other, like, high-challenger players. But I can say that, like, I mean, like, reasons for disliking that set were the sort of linear, like, the linear boards. Like, you're playing around one dragon, you're going to plug in all the synergies to support it and, like, call it a day. Call it a day. But I think 7.5, like, they... I mean, I'll be I'll be frank. I don't like dragons at all. Um, I, I I still don't like them. Like as like a core core mechanic. Um, but I think seven point five like it 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 was like they sort of made the best of like a bad situation. Uh, I'm happy with like how they've made the current game. I will say though that like I have so like I I have been like so like even like, after regionals I've been like playing the game a lot like still. Um, because I do still enjoy the game. But I I I have been thinking about this a lot, and it's that like. One of the core issues with dragons, especially like currently, in that like um, dragons are as strong as they are, and like they probably should be because the set's like called Dragonlands after all. The dragons probably should be good. Like the the sort of like end game boards are like fairly uninteresting, if that makes sense. Like because the the fact that like a dragon is two slots and like it's correct to play three four like dragons usually just means that like there's just less like end game board variation. Um, so like it it just it just ends up in a situation where like um. It's like in theory. It's like in theory, you think you're playing flexibly, but in reality, you're not. Like, you know, you you're always trying to end like Alshin as you're like, because he's just the best DPS in the game. Like, you're always trying to end Alshin as you carry, or uh, and like, you know, you're just like plugging in all the other good dragons around him. You're pretty much always, right? Um, whereas like, I I think in like older sets and like other sets, like I think about boards where like, I think about like sort of like legendary like people style boards that were like very flexible in terms of like what units you can plug and play. Um, yeah, it just doesn't quite feel that way. Um. The set, but I mean, the set's still fun. So, yeah. yeah, I think one of the one of the things that is often forgotten about is that one of the big things that the TFT team tried to move away from after the early sets was just like swapping the board you'd spent your entire game setting up for just one guy that did more damage than everybody else. Like there was a lot of issues with that in the earlier sets, and especially like the power level of legendaries uh, set one, two, and three was like absurd, where you could actually do something like that with quite a lot of success so uh you know they went away from that for a little while made them more support style units and i, and I think in set 7 and 7.5 uh they regressed a little bit to just having like the best units being the legendary yeah. units best damage units yeah not just even best units like i i think like anything. yeah I, I think part of it is also that like because like 
dragons are essentially like like the Vault even said that like a dragon is supposed to be like two synergistic units of like that tier, right? So like a legendary dragon is meant to be two synergistic five costs. A technically, I guess in theory, but then like a seven cost dragon is meant to be two synergistic four costs. Like I think what ends up happening is like because they're both combined, like part of the skill expression is like in like a regular game. Is like being able to like you have the micro two units and you get to like stack two units potentially, whereas like in this set like you just stack all the items on the one unit and you just have to micro the, like the one unit right, like inherently there's just like less it's just less skill expressive right but yeah. Emmer, if I said to you, um, augments were coming back in set eight, I know that they aren't. They've already said that they're moving away from augments after this. Would you be happy or sad? Probably be neutral. Um, I'm pretty sure, funnily enough, because uh, I, I was on this podcast last set, right? I'm pretty sure I got asked the exact same question, and I was actually I was like similar answer. And I was like, yeah, I, I enjoyed augments, so I would like want them back. Um, like I like honestly, like the way that they are now, there's augments which is just like really really strong. But I do believe that it's just been on a constant decline where um where augments have just constantly gotten better and better um obviously with a, a few uh a few outstanding ones where like it's just not balanced for a specific comp and then eventually it gets balanced um but in terms of like you consider where we started with augments uh where you could just get offered choices which was just like you shouldn't be like allowed it like the, yeah there was like true twos on like on your as your last augment things like that where you just get like a couple of upgraded champions or like i can't remember what it was but I just remember there was there was some choices where you should never get it offered. Uh, I mean, um, never forget that we couldn't reroll augments for any times. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah, that's that's fun, right? Yeah. You couldn't reroll it. Um, and I was oh yeah, that's another thing that I want to point out is that because in this set you can you can manipulate your board and then reroll your augments has made it so much better for um for this set in particular. Um, basically, if you watch like any of my games, you'll see every time I reroll my second or third augment, I'm always considering. Like, can I make my board into a board which is good enough to get some nice tailored augments? And if I can, then you'll say I'd do it. I'd say probably 75% of the time I'm rerolling my augments, I'm, like, uh, fully pivoting my board. Um, but honestly, no. Like, I'm, I'm excited to see, like, uh, what they bring uh, with set 8. Um, regardless if I if I think the set's balanced or if, the, the like, I enjoy the uh, mechanic that much, I know I'm still going to enjoy TFT. Um, I never really like go away from this game, even if there's uh, periods uh, or patches where I feel like I'm just not having that much fun. Um, if I'm not having that much fun, I'll just stop playing it as competitively, and I'll uh, I'll just play off stream or I'll um, like play double ups or like you know play play normal games with friends. Like yeah. Uh, speaking of competitive, let's get back to talking about regionals. Tamara, your day two, I assume you weren't playing on a laptop anymore. No, not anymore. <laughs> Uh, yeah, talk to us a little bit about that. Okay, so day two, uh, so so for my day one, I was like just playing for top top four, like top six even. Like if you went fifth on average, you're fine. So day day two, it was just like don't don't fuck up, don't go eighth. As long as you don't go eighth, you'll be in like a, like a very comfortable spot to just keep playing out the rest of your game. Not once during the during day two was I ever in the spot where I was pressured for a first. So um, I can't remember my scores exactly. But basically, I just played the first three games, just relax, play for your top four. Um, going into the meta, I believed that Soy Siphon was just way too stable of a board to not play. So if I had a lobby where there wasn't lots of Soy Siphon uh, forces, I would just lean Soy Siphon. Uh, play Astral Opener, and then um, 
and then lean into it um, uh, at 4-2, do like a 4-2 roll down. If I'm healthy enough, I can do a 4-5, but most most of my games were 4-2. Um, and I do want to um, point out that after my day one, uh, I uh, it was Keith and Jose did bot reviews of all of the regional players, and I was lucky enough that they actually did all six, uh, well, not all six, they did all four of my games that I actually streamed, because two of them were on my laptop. Um, they they did bot reviews of all the games, and what they pointed out was that I was greeting Astral Opener into Astral's on stage three, all the way up into 4-2. Um, and they pointed out there was a lot of times uh, during stage three where I could have pivoted my board into a into a non-astral board, which saves me a lot of HP. Um, and if you think about it, if you win one round, you're getting plus one gold for that win anyway, which kind of offsets the like the gold you're getting from the astrals, as most of the time you're just getting plus one anyway, because uh, you're only playing three with the spots that I was in. Um, and yeah, and so and so that was really good because then I was just playing less greedy. I was securing the top fours in the first three games. And then I think after the I think after those first three games, I high rolled my game one like it was the most high roll lagoon game of my life like I'd ever played. It was it was like just the most stupid thing ever. Um, I was in a really comfortable spot, so I just kept playing the same way. And I'll be honest, day day two was probably where I high rolled the most. So I managed to get a couple firsts where I was really just playing for top four. We haven't talked too much about comp specifically. I'd love for you to talk about lagoon. How did you feel like it was positioned in in the meta? I think if you opened with... So the way I viewed Lagoons is that there's three items you're looking for. Um, you're looking for Blue Buff, uh, Zizirot, and Morello. Those are the three core items to the comp. And if you had um, if you had one of those items, because normally you start with three components. If you had one of those items with the Lagoon opener, um, there's a good chance... If your augment's good, there's a good chance you just play Lagoon. But if you had one of those items plus half of another one... I felt the spot, I felt Lagoon was like a, a to S tier. I felt it was a really good way to play Lagoon. Um, so like, for example, if you open, if you open ZZ Rot uh, tier, so that would be Belt, uh, belt Bow tier, you slam ZZ Rot, you have a tier, you're going to lose streak, go for Blue Buff on Carousel, your spot's insane. If you open Blue Buff plus Belt, you go for, um, uh, you open, you open Blue Buff, you can go for Morello or ZZ Rot on uh, Carousel, and, and your spot's insane. I think if you could get your blue buff before Krugs, um, and you had Avid Frontline, I, it was yeah, it was really really strong in the meta. Um, I think the problem with it is that if you don't have good items for it and you hit Lagoon a little bit too late, uh, it's a comp that exponentially scales because you need to be ahead of the curve with uh, leveling, um, and you're generating so much econ when you're hitting those uh, those breakpoints, as well as the fact that you're getting free items. And so if you're ever in a bad spot for Lagoon, it's a guaranteed bot too. So I think a lot of people going into the tournament, they weren't comfortable with Lagoon because they probably didn't have enough prep. And then every, like, maybe they got one or two games where they're like, all right, I'm going to hard force Lagoon this game so I can prep. It goes awful for them on ladder because it's like, well, your spot was bad for it to begin with. Um, so yeah, I felt like not enough people were using Lagoon when they had a spot, spot to play it. Interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. And so going into to day three, where do you end day two, you know, uh, like in position wise? Uh, end of day two, I was rank one, so I had the highest rank one. I was the top, so I had the highest tiebreaker. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, pretty much. Just uh, yeah. just for our, our listeners yeah. out there who may not know. So you go into day three, mm-hmm. you're the top seed, basically. You know, you have a good tiebreaker. Talk to talk to us about how you felt before that final day. Uh, before the final day, I was really ecstatic. Uh, after day two, uh, the fact that I like had the highest tiebreaker going into day three. It wasn't so much that I had the highest tiebreaker. It was the combination of the highest tiebreaker plus all, like almost all of the favorites were out. I'll be honest. Um, 
a lot of favorites got knocked out day one. And then on top of that, I think Omni got knocked out day two, if I'm not uh, mistaken. So I was, I was, uh, I was VOD reviewing on, uh, on, um, after day two. So that was Saturday night thinking, okay, I actually have a shot at doing well here. Um, because before going into day one, it was like, okay, I have a one in 24 chance of winning this thing. It's not great. Uh, I'll play my best and hopefully I do well. But going into day three, uh, I felt really, really good because I was thinking, okay, it's no longer a one in 24. It's now looking actually more realistically like a one in six, like an actual decent odds. Yeah. Um, I think what I'd ideally like to do here is uh, is slow it down and talk a little bit of TFT, like, you know, get a bit theory-wise on this one. So let, let's talk about your sort of game one on your final day. What, what were you thinking as, as the game loads up? So thinking, I, I think um, what I recognize from my day one and two is that it's very, very easy to go into a tournament and let the pressure get to you. I think uh, what I did, uh, I've, I've actually have a decent amount of history with TFT tournaments because I've, I've played in every Open Cup qualifier that I can uh, just because I enjoy them. I played in two Challenger series uh, and one MSI. So I feel like I had, uh, I had enough uh, practice where I know what keeps me calm. And the value of staying calm, not tilting, and just playing your current game is so super valuable when going into tournaments. Um, so leading into that first game, I just played my I played my music, I played the playlist that I enjoy that that relaxes me, uh, gets me a little bit motivated. Um, and and leading into it, um, I didn't really have too much of an extra thought than than what I had at day one or two. It was just to play play the game plan, uh, try and play correct where you can, um, and don't, try not to tilt too much about. Uh, about mistakes personally i'm not a player that tilts when i low roll um obviously like you can find clips out of context where i'm low rolling on <laughs> on stream and you know cursing what dog or whatever um but it's more the fact that like genuinely it's it's more of an act i will genuinely be upset with myself if i make mistakes as opposed to if i just low roll so my get my, my thought process was entirely just play play your current play style and um try to minimize mistakes uh, and even if you do make mistakes, it's really important not to tilt because this is just game one. You can have a bad performance uh, and bring it back. Uh, well, fantastic. You know, I, I think one of the one of the most underrated things about TFT is that it's actually a, quite an emotional game sometimes. If you're an emotional person, put it that way. Like, because mm. there is there are, <laughs> there are a lot of micro portions of the game that are very like intense you know emotionally physically you know like people jumping up and down out of their chairs or their their eyes are, and you know fingers are going at 100 miles an hour because they got to roll 10 times in 15 seconds or you know 30 times in 10 seconds or something like that you know so uh it's really great to hear that, that you found like a system that works for you specifically uh i know earlier you mentioned that like day one you were like, oh, I'm going to play Soy Fan. Day two, I'm playing Astrals, but I've recognized on the back of some VOD review that I should be more aggressive on stage three and fix my boards and play a little bit, set, play better boards in stage three and stage four so that I'm not bleeding out too much. Day three, are you thinking the same things? You're like, I'm going to play Soy Fan as much as I can. If I have openness for other comps, I'll play it. Uh, what were you thinking sort of game-wise? Um, well, you'll notice actually, because I end up playing, I think I end up playing Zaya three out of six of my games. I went into the tourney thinking I will play Zaya maybe like 
10% of the time, if I get the opener. Um, but after doing a lot of VOD reviews, uh, I kind of realized that uh, if you have the Astral opener, playing the two-star Varus uh, into an actual board on stage three and four is just so ridiculously stable. And then obviously you have the benefit of flexing between Astrals when you want them or when you don't. Um, and so my game plan changed up a little bit. Um, one thing I will note, what changed in terms of the comps that I wanted to play going into day three was heavily influenced by my lobby. Um, initially on game one of day three, I had Huey, who was known as a Rengar one-trick in Tawny. I had uh, Percy Jackson, who was known as a Zaya one-trick in Tawny. And then I had um, Colorful, who was known as a Rengar, Olaf, or Soy Siphon. So it's just like an AD, uh, AD one-trick. Um, and then I think there was a couple other players that I knew they liked to lean towards uh, Rengar as well. I knew Kade and uh, Kade and Oboe were like AP flex. Most of the time they were either leaning, they were playing around AP opener into like fast nine. And they were, those are the types of players to watch out for for going one and two because uh, one and two or like seven and eight. So if they get the opener that supports them to a fast nine, you know that they know the, the line very well and they're going to cap out with a fast nine. Uh, otherwise they can uh, bot two. So my plan going into, uh, into the day was I felt that on Soy Siphon, I was actually going to be relatively uncontested. So I can just play that for some secure top fours in the first three games and then re-evaluate re my spot uh, after three games and think, okay, do I need to start playing for a more first or eighth? Uh, because at the end of the day, I didn't have enough championship points to go to Worlds no matter where I placed unless I went first. Uh, I could try and secure my LCQ spot, but really I was just playing for a first. And so that's what I was thinking about uh, as every single game uh, moved forward. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Sol, I'll divert to you as well. You know, feel free to jump in and, and ask some questions anytime. I, I will just say, like, did you feel uh, in this instance, you, you talk about Zyre a little bit. Did you feel that Zyre was a board in this meta that, that could, like, cap out at a first? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I think, like, the key... Okay, the weird thing about Zyre, though, is that, like, the key to, like, Zyre being good for, like, this patch, and, like, I actually think it's still good in the coming patch, is, like, a lot of it has to do with how broken Guild is, <laughs> as like a trade to play around. Yep. Uh, Guild is just yeah, like so ridiculous. <laughs> Even like after the nerfs, yeah. Guild is just so ridiculously powerful. Um, and then like a lot of that also centers around like how powerful, um, the like the unit quality in Guild is in addition to the trait. Like Zippy is like Zippy is like such an insane unit. <laughs> um, it, it feels weird to say, but like the Zaya board, like it, it's not even necessarily about like Zaya, if that makes sense. Like Zaya is like a DPS, sure, but like. The thing that actually makes it like a Zyre board good is like having like like good augments, uh, upgraded like guild units, and then eventually um, going into like Shivana uh, to actually like close things out. Shivana um, is very still very very important, but um, yeah. So like going into twenty, like I, I yeah, I definitely like felt felt like Zyre was like a, a strong board that like could win, um, provided that like you know it was like piloted correctly. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I. Oh, sorry. Um, I just wanted to quickly draft God to Soul. Um, <laughs> uh, just like with the with the Zaya board uh, going to Tony, yeah. there was very like a lot of us, like, even the high level challenger players, were doubting uh, how good Zaya. Oh, was a lot of people were saying it's unplayable. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, of yeah. Rengar. Had the stance that if you have more than one Rengar player in your lobby, don't bother. Yeah. But there was another challenger player, Percy Jackson. Oh yeah, I talked to Percy a lot. I watched him a lot. Yeah. I I did vod reviews with him. And it's so funny yeah. because he lives in a he lives in a um, a life of fear, as as I put it. Um, every single round he's scouting, his entire yeah. thought process is, "Am I going to get jumped on by sins?" And so his favorite augment, like not exactly favorite, but one of the ones that he always takes is Future Sight. 
because then it just gets rid of that fear and you can always see when you're about to get jumped on and he showed me so many positioning things that you can do to actually win the rengar matchup and like you said it's not about zaya if you have a varus 2 and a zaya 1 you always play the varus 2 you itemize the varus 2 until you hit that zaya zaya 2 and the varus matchup if you position your correctly there's a few very um very interesting things that you do um you can actually win the rengar matchup every time unless it's a rengar 3 and you're still varus 2 uh, because your Varus will just permacast, and something that, uh, yeah, I got flamed for quite a lot was that uh, if you have a guild spat on your Varus, you don't put armor on your Twitch, and then you can position your Twitch accordingly, and the yeah. Rengar will jump on your Twitch. You can manipulate it so that it'll always jump on Bard or or Twitch. Um, and yeah, uh, there was a few people in chat who wanted me to mention, don't put armor on Twitch, guys, if you have a guild spat. Just, just don't do, do it. Do you remember seeing that in your chat a lot? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much for that. So, I mean, look, we, we go into the last couple of games here. Um, so, Maria, you're basically, I think, relatively leading for most of day three, to be honest. Like, you're, you're in a pretty good spot. Um, what are those last two games like? Are you actually starting to feel a bit more nervous? Are you, are you feeling excited? Are you, are you playing any differently than you were previously? um yeah i just wanted to like point out so yeah like you said going to the last two games i think it was my game four so going to the last two games was really hard for me because after game four if anyone was in my stream they would have seen i was genuinely on the verge of tears after game four because i missed a i missed a determined investor proc and it doesn't sound like much but it meant that i missed a shivana oh, 2 with Diamond yeah I, I saw it because i, I, had, yeah. because <laughs> I didn't have my duplicator and i got my duplicator the round that i died and if I had that, I would have probably won that round, maybe even some rounds before. And it turned a it turned a fourth, which could have been a potential first. I don't know necessarily if I would have gone first that round, but in my mind at the time, I just told like in my mind, I just lost three points. Um, and going into game five and six, that was a huge three points that I couldn't really afford to lose. Um, and so, like I said before, my game plan was always just like try not to tilt about mistakes that I made. Uh, but at that moment in time, that was too big of a mistake to just kind of brush over. Um, so I think I, what I did was I ended up turning off cam and just walking outside for a second, just like recollecting my thoughts uh, and trying to like de-stress. Um, and then I it was it was interesting because I wasn't actually placing that high. Like the caster said, I was just playing consistency, uh, consistently. The lowest I placed on that day was a fifth, I think. Um... And so even though like I wasn't getting really good results, I was still somehow always either like first or second in the in the points. Um, and I think going into game five was probably the one where I was the most stressed because if I got if I got a good placement in the fifth game, then I could relax for the last game. Um, and I think that's actually what ended up happening. And then going into game six, I did the maths and it was like I had to out outplace colorful by four or something. So if I went sixth, I was guaranteed. And then I had to outplace Percy by one less than Colorful. Um, and so, yes, I was very stressed going into that game. But uh, the good thing was that I wasn't going into any of my games thinking I have to play first or eighth playstyle. Because it was completely against my my playstyle and my game plan going in to play for a first. It was always, I want to play for top four, ideally top two. Um, and so the fact that I got to go into the final two games in a, in my comfort zone was, was, uh, was what worked the most. Because... I think if I had a bad performance in the first three and then I got to game four and went, okay, I need to go first this game to bring back my points, I probably would have tried something and gone down a different line that probably would have just netted me another bot four. And then from that point, it's mathematically impossible. So I, I think that's one of the biggest high rolls was that um, the fact that no one else was uh, like 
performing crazy, everyone was very, very inconsistent that day, just allowed me to play in my comfort zone uh, and, and stick with it. Yeah, fantastic. And um, I guess while we're sort of wrapping up the, this day three, I know that there was a lot of thoughts about like what would go on after. Maybe you got to do an interview. I, I don't think that materialized. Um, uh, you know, how? I'd just love to know how you felt afterwards. I mean, I was in I was in your stream at that point. I, you know, I got to see the excitement on your face. But you know, in in your own words, what was uh, what was going through your head? Um, like I said, while it was actually happening, it just hadn't clicked, like, at the time. Uh, I, I know you'll see, like, a, I, maybe, like, some other people would be, like, a lot more static. I feel like I didn't show as much emotion as, like, what was actually going on inside my head. Maybe that's just, like, the type of person I am. But obviously, I was extremely uh, ecstatic. And, and you could see that I was smiling uh, the whole time. Um, it, it, meant a, it meant a huge deal to me. Um, not just because of the amount of, like, hours that I put into the game, but because... Um, uh, because of like just the way that the the timing and how worlds worked around um is that like I finished like I'm really passionate about TFT and uh, not only uh, am I really happy with the result but because of the result I I'm now uh, like allowed to for the next month to put so I can justify putting in a lot of work yep. into the game which I already really enjoy um and personally like I had so much fun doing uh, vod reviews like uh, even after like a couple games of regionals and I know I'm gonna have so much fun over the next month, uh, grinding out, uh, lots of, uh, regionals prep. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, I was extremely happy and, um, it, it meant a lot that, um, so many people, uh, came into my stream, uh, like during, uh, during the final game and stuck around for, I think it was like about half an hour to an hour after, uh, chatting away with everyone. Um, unfortunately I didn't get to do an interview, but like I had like my friends there, like, like Fox and Reunic and I got to do like the, the fake interview after stuff like that was fun. <laughs> um and yeah like just just everyone being there it meant so much yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure it did um uh look so unless you have any other questions about the sort of the final day of the tourney I, i'd love to um move on and talk about what's coming up next yeah let's, i'm down to talk about what's coming up next so well of course uh we've got worlds and, and we, will, we will get into that but um we had a question in chat and i don't want to leave it until the end mostly because um uh, you know, there, there is so much to talk about in regards to this, and that is the last chance qualifier. There are loads of um, uh, loads of, of OCE players, high-ranking players, you know, people that, that you have played a lot of games against and with, uh, who will be going to this event. Um, the question was from, from Viagra, which was, are you going to be helping them do preparation? Yeah, so leading into the LCQs, uh... Um, Angoro's already reached out, and uh, I'll definitely be talking to him quite a lot. Uh, I respect him very highly as an OS player, um, so like whenever I'm doing VOD reviews, uh, I always respect his opinion, and it's great to get his insight. And of course, I'll return the favor if he ever wants to do VOD reviews leading into LCQ, or ask any questions to uh, bounce ideas off each other about the meta. So I'll definitely be doing that with um, with Angora. And then as for Huey and Aurora, I don't know uh, the, either of them as well. Uh, but I've obviously uh, given them that heads up that uh, my DMs are always open, and I'm sure that I'll be doing. Uh, I'm sure that I'll be doing some vod reviews uh, and games, live games with them. Aurora, in fact, uh, I found it quite funny because Aurora DM'd me uh, congratulating me uh, uh, on the last day, and then I checked my DM history, and he actually asked me a few questions about Chemtech, my Chemtech Ergot video, like from way back from the previous <laughs> set, because I made a I made a guide and then I put it on Reddit, and he must have found it somehow. 
Um, and he asked me a question and we had a whole back and forth because he was asking me questions and I'd give him a big answer. Then he'd be like, oh, thank you so much. Like, give me another question. And then we had a back and forth. And so I just find it really funny that like uh, all the like uh, all that time ago, um, we, we were actually India and still talking. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I offered that. Um, yeah, of course, we can we can talk and do uh, LCQ prep together. If you had any advice to to give to players going into the LCQ, um, it doesn't get to happen often in TFT. It doesn't get to happen often in a lot of games, uh, online gaming, where players get to play against opposition from other regions. Um, how would how important would you say that preparing uh, to face against other regions is going to be? Um, I think it's uh, really important. I guess going into like uh going into a new like versing other regions where the meta might be slightly different um i my my advice for going into big tournaments uh like lcq uh would be similar to what i was saying before is that your preparation should not only just be on tft and getting like don't, try not to get too stressed about it um but also preparation on how you actually play on the day i put a big emphasis on making sure that you stay cool uh and that you uh you don't take you don't take new lines that you wouldn't that you're not comfortable with um, the importance of staying, uh, staying in your comfort zone, uh, not getting stressed, um, and just playing, uh, playing what you know is really, really important. And so I would say that in your preparation, of course, you want to play very flex and figure out what, uh, like get a good read on the meta. Um, but then as you start to get towards your final week uh, of preparation, you should definitely be finding your comfort zone and don't just, uh, and the easiest way to find your comfort zone is to, to, um, to talk to other people about it and actually say, say it out loud, out loud. Like I went into the tournament saying, I am comfortable playing these five comps. I'm going to lean towards these comps. And once I've already said it, it's in my, like, it's in my brain and I'm not, I'm not going to forget it. And, um, uh, there was, there was one game, I think in particular where I had uh, a Rengar opener. I had half of Zeke's. So I had belt plus Runins. I had a guild spat and I had a really good Rengar opener. And then my next shop, I had Varus Twitch and I had the Astrals. I already, I was already running to, I already had two Astrals in my, uh, on my board. And I just went, okay, I can either play a, a line that I'm not comfortable with and play, uh, uh, and, and play the Rengar because the spot was really good for it, or I can just play my comfort. And so I pivoted to the Varus because it was a very easy pivot. It was only like two, three or something. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say preparation, uh, is, is like mental, uh, comfort zone, uh, as well as talking to other people. Cause I think, I think talking to, uh, other, other players doing bold reviews, getting everyone else's insight is really, really valuable. I really like that bit about, um, sort of sticking to what you know and sticking around, like playing around a comfort zone, because I think like, it's one of those things I think that I sort of found out the hard way myself is that like, in like sort of like the open calls and stuff, you can sort of get away with being a little bit more sort of like, um, you know, look, we'll, we'll figure out on the fly kind of things. Like, you know, I've seen it played a million times. I'll play it by ear. It should be fine. But like, the the thing is that like when you're playing at sort of this level where like, every, like, you know, you're going to get punished for like every small mistake. Um, that's, that's the spot where like, yeah, you know, you really don't want to play something that, you know, you're not particularly comfortable with by yourself. And then I think that's a, one thing that's important to know is like, there's a very big difference between sort of knowing how something's played in theory and actually having played it yourself. Um, because it's one thing to, you know, have watched a, a bunch of VODs of other people playing it and, like, having a rough idea of, like, how it works. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, like, TFT at the end of the day is, like, such a such a complex game with, like, so many sort of micro decisions that, like, unless you actually try it yourself, like, you don't really know what those sort of decisions look like, right? Until you actually try it. So, yeah. Yeah, fascinating. Um, look, I think there's really only 
the biggest thing of them all left to talk about, at least for, for what's coming up, and, and that's Worlds. Uh, I know you mentioned how much you enjoy watching uh, Frodan do VOD review of other sets, especially like China, uh, even like Japanese events he does a lot of VOD review for. Uh, is that something that you're going to, like? I guess that sort of style where you, where you watch a bunch of these other regions, is that something that you're going to take into this event? Uh, for sure. Um, I definitely love watching, uh, I love watching a lot of odds and I like watching other regions, especially when they're doing something different. I will say if you watch most of the regional games from uh, the OS, uh, OS regionals, you'll see that we played a very narrow line. The meta comps and the final boards were all very standard. Um, and so that's why uh, looking out to other regions can be super valuable uh, because you can find new innovative lines. Um, uh, and if you, if you really enjoy that line, then that might be something that you can, you can steal the tech and, and make that your comfort, uh, comfort comp, uh, or just like a pocket pick that you have, um, that you might bring out, uh, if you get a very specific opener, um, in terms of style similar to Froden, Froden's someone who likes to do the VOD reviews. He's very analytical and all of that. In my opinion, he, uh, it's like, he can do whatever he wants and it, if it works for him, that's great. In my opinion though, his style doesn't work as well for me because I think he places a little bit too much time in documenting everything. It might be more so the fact that he can share it with others. Uh, but what he does is he records every single augment selection. He records every single placement. Um, and he's just putting it all into, into a nice Excel spreadsheet. Um, and personally, there's a lot of, a lot of that, uh, wastes a lot of time. Uh, and a lot of the times, like he'll he'll put all of the augments and the odds that he actually goes back and generates, uh, you know, learns something by going back to seeing it. Like a lot of the time, the augment choices are just really obvious. Me personally, if I'm watching something like that, um, the only time that I'll take significant notes is if they do something completely different to what I was doing. If it's a close augment selection, like you've got Electro Charge and CB1, they're both silver augments. They're both good for your board. Either one's like relatively fine. If the China player decides to do the one that I wouldn't, it's not a big deal. Whereas if they take something completely different or if they re-roll three augments, which I think are perfectly fine, that's when I'll start to take notes and I'll do it in a relatively different fashion because um, obviously I won't have notes on every single decision they make, uh, but I'll just have them on the ones that uh, allow me to learn something new because I think I would have done something different in their situation. Yeah, fascinating. That is that is super interesting. So um, I was wondering if you had any questions regarding like preparation for the event or anything for, for tomorrow. Oh, I don't know if I have any actually, to be completely honest. I think that like uh, a lot of what like probably needs to be said has already been said. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you've covered a, a good lot of it tomorrow, to be honest. Uh, I do want to like talk one quick thing about like TFT comps. And that is like before the event, uh, realistically, there was not very much like to be learned about the set. Uh, but one of the things that did pop up sort of as we were getting towards regionals, during regionals, like that evolved during the days, was sort of a, the reintroduction of a, of a couple of reroll comps. Um, and especially like Karma. How did you feel that was going? Uh, like, and how did you feel that impacted? Oh, I thought, I thought Karma was broken. Like, not going to lie. I saw it, I saw it on ladder. I played it a couple of times on ladder. It was turbo broken. Um... And I was expecting to see a decent amount of karma. And like going into day one, I was thinking, ah, oh, shit, is there just going to be like three karma players every lobby? And like one of them's going to hit, one of them's going to go eighth. And then no one was playing karma. And like I went into I went into the tournament not wanting to play reroll comps. Uh, I never really like playing reroll comps in tournament because if you miss, there's very little you can do to avoid going bot two. And when you're playing for placements, all you really need to do is go for top four. Worst case scenario, you want to go fifth or sixth. Um, sure, maybe on day three, 
you could go for karma reroll if your spot's insane and then you're playing for a first um but yeah honestly i didn't think that too many reroll comps were going to be that much of a problem i just thought that uh kaiser kaiser 3 plus uh karma 3 might be a problem um but the thing about uh the thing about kaiser is that anyone who's playing som is going to hold on to kaisers as their opener uh and kaiser's just such a good like a good unit that a lot of people will play around her uh holding like blue buff morello all of the fast line players uh and because it's a because it's regionals there's a lot of challenger players and a lot of challenger players if you look at their match history they're very good at playing greedy on ladder and going fast nine which means they're going to be playing around kaiser anyway so i didn't honestly expect to see that much kaiser because of just like how many other people are contesting the unit yeah interesting what a what a fascinating insight uh into that i guess um the only other thing that i really want to talk about before we get on to questions is like the metagame uh we have a patch and there will be more you know plenty more at least maybe two more patches i think before worlds probably so there there's going to be a a bunch of stuff that changes around in the next couple of weeks but i guess a sort of blanket question for you is like what would you like to see change that's like too strong at the moment or maybe even like not strong enough yeah, in the meta, what would I like to see change the most? Uh, let me think about that. Uh, to be honest, I haven't played that much of this current patch. So I read the patch notes, I watched the video. There was a lot of minor changes though, so it's kind of hard to make an educated guess. I only played six games of the patch. I know I say only, uh, but that was because I was ranking up my smurf. So it's not really, I couldn't really get a read on the meta. I was playing I was playing in silver, ranking up my smurf. So I have, I have, I have no clue of what the meta looks like at a high elo. Um, what would I like to see changed? um yeah honestly i i, I don't think i ha really have like a great answer uh because i i kind i pretty much liked the previous meta and i don't really know what's changed too much about it uh moving moving forward um i i, I actually have a yeah. question and that's it's been weighing on my mind for a while now in terms of the state of the game this might be a yeah. this might be a luke very very lukewarm take or it might be a very hot take i, I don't think it's a very <laughs> hot take but do you think that they should remove guild emblem from the game like they did with like whispers and stuff. I I I'm starting to think that like guild emblem is like way too broken. Yes. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Be, I, I, wouldn't be, I got Cardi yeah. on my side. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't right. be. I wouldn't be uh, upset if they got rid of guild emblem. Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. It's, it's just the problem that. Thing, it's just the problem that like it gives the unit all of the stats doubled. So you're already yeah, if you exactly. have the emblem. If you have the emblem, you're already playing around vertical guild, and it just doubles every single stat that you're giving to them. Um, I think the problem, the problem with having, I've talked about this a lot with other emblems and other augments. The problem of having something um, means you need you need to balance the units and traits around that thing existing. Yeah. So it was similar to before when we had Demancer Conference. You had to balance the Demancer units around the fact that someone might just hit Demancer Conference and then they're guaranteed to three star everything. And so you get this really really awkward state where they literally had to make the augment just give you a unit every second round because otherwise it was too broken um and the same thing exists for uh for, for guildcrest where you have to balance um every single bonus from the twi uh, from the um the guild units around the fact that someone might put a guild spat on varus or zaya or, or or deja and and they're gonna have all of those bonuses. Well, should, and you can see literally anybody yeah. everything and they've put yeah. they've put um They've done that. This patch, they've they've had to over nerf. Well, I don't know if it's oh, if you consider over nerf, but they've had I to nerf like very uh, light. Like Twitch's attack <laughs> speed. They've had to just yeah. keep touching the guild numbers until they get out a spot that they're happy with, and it's entirely yeah. because they have guild crests as a thing. I wouldn't, 
I don't think it would be game-breaking to have it uh, as an option in Tome. It's not as game-breaking as Whispers because of the way that, like, gave, uh, the Graves Whisper bug with, like, Kananir proccing it or Deja proccing it three times on every auto. So if it were, if it existed as something, like, um, if it existed as something that you could only get uh, from popping Tome, I don't think I'd be totally against that because um, then you can get those high-roll guild moments while you're playing around uh, a guild spout on yeah. a Zaya or a Aushin. Uh, but yeah, the fact that you can just get it uh, as a gold augment as or a, a prismatic, like you just get it for free, um, and you're guaranteed to to have it. Um, and it's a you, you usually get like a free what a free twitch as well when you get it yeah. as the gold. Yeah, like, I'm trying to remember what, what is the, the what, what's the item for the, the prismatic version? Oh, yeah, it well, used well, it's, it, it wasn't it like giant slayer at one point, and then now it's Val. Val? Oh, right now it's Val. Yeah, it used to be giant slayer like last set. Um, you get a free vow for no reason. That's you get a free vow for your like your Shivana, your Hecarim, like any any of your frontline units. Yeah. 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 No, I think that like okay, judging by the reaction from chat, it was a very lukewarm take. No, I, I definitely think that like Guild Spat like is just like way too powerful for what it is, and I think that it's it's got this problem where like if you gotta balance it, you end up having to make like five six units like worse to just play around in general. Like, so it doesn't yeah. really make sense to balance it like that. But then like. In the way it currently exists, it's essentially like it's like best in slot on like so many different carries, um, and, mm. and it's just like yeah, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if that's like part of it is I mean, just due to like, oh, yeah, oh, uh, I should say yeah, it's it personally, it's just because they added Zippy, so because Zippy's a yes, good unit, okay. and then he gives yeah. so much, he gives so many extra stats because Play chase as well, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you couldn't get to eight guild right like last set, yeah. so it didn't really, it didn't really matter. Whereas this set, um. You're getting so many stats on the unit you put it on. I remember last yeah. set, like, everyone put Gil Spat on Zaya because it's like, well, yeah, you just chuck it on your Zaya. But it didn't really matter because she already had healing from Rage Wing. She already had a lot yeah. of attack speed from running Rage Blade, Swift Shots, and Rage Wing. So it was just kind of like an item that you just chuck on her. If you, for example, had an item combination of, like, Rage Blade, uh, GS plus Runins plus Gil Spat, you obviously wouldn't want the Runins on anyone else. So you just put the Runins on your Zaya and then you Gil Spat some, some, someone else. Um... And so, yeah, it's it's mainly only an issue because of how strong Vertical Guild is as well. So that, that's the yeah. two ways that they could balance it, is they could either get rid of it and then balance around that, the fact that it doesn't exist, or they would have to balance Vertical Guild. But then then you could never play, like, Twitch reroll or Zippy reroll. And I know Mortdog loves to have, like, the comps designed in a way such that you're not just playing towards Legendary Endgame boards. He wants those fun, like, reroll yeah. comps to, to exist as well. Yeah. No, I think it's, like, pretty tough for sure. Like, it's definitely in this, like, really weird spot where, like, it's pretty broken, but it's also, like, not game-breakingly broken, if that makes sense. Like, it's not mm. quite, like, Whisper Spat. It's not, like, Whisper Spat or, like, Rebel Spat before, it's like, they fix yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, like, there, but it is also, like, kind of egregious, like, how powerful it is on some of these endgame boards. Um, mm. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what the solution is. Um, I personally think they should probably just get rid of it, but, yeah. <laughs> All right. Interesting. <laughs> It is. Uh, it's really fascinating. I, I, I will ask as well, like, because they got. Is it true that they got rid of Cutthroat as well, like Rengar? Yes, this current yeah, patch they got rid of it. Yeah. 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 Do you I don't, I don't think anyone are, really cares. No, nobody really cares that Rengar's not really going to be. Cutthroat. Uh what's what's Cutthroat in the data? I feel like no one took it. Oh, it was. I it was awful. No one. No yeah. one ever. Like, like no one ever picked yeah. it up. That's so, what I thought. Yeah. The the yeah. more like. Mort's logic was no one wanted their carries getting mana reaved. No one wanted to even take it in the first place. Like, I agree. Yeah. 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 Which is weird because I feel like it was good in set six. You get an actual yeah. for Rengar. 
Yeah, I was gonna say it's weird because I, I okay, I don't, I did not look at the data very closely like back in set six, but like I feel like it was actually good in set six, like six back when like sins were a lot more metal, like when you had like Talon, Shaco, Katarina, and stuff to play around. Yeah, that's when you like, actually had like you actually yeah. had sins that you could play around, like reroll ones that you could use. Whereas like now, yeah, you yeah, have, like, yeah. Kiana is just a support unit. Nyla, you just play around her with the goons. Like you're not really. Yeah. Yeah, you're not really building a board around it, and then the only really like final option, like Diana, sure you can play two sins, but you're never going to play vertical sins. You're just playing around vertical scale scorns, um, and then you have Rengar, of course. But then the thing with the thing with Rengar is just like, like I, I don't know. I feel like he just like doesn't doesn't really need it, and you're not even running vertical yeah. sins anyway. You're just running multiple Rengars. <laughs> That's like another thing that like I really dislike, and I hope they move away in the future. Is like when it's like making it so that it's correct to play multiple copies of the same unit. I don't know, like, actually, yeah, that's probably a good one. What are your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on Darkflight and, 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 and yeah, the way I'm it the, plays? Like, you got the, you got the DJ and Darkflight players in the chat, the ones who, like, abused Aphelios in the first week of, yeah. of, of, of Patch to, like, gain infinite LP, won't name names, but uh, they know who they are. <laughs> you um, know who you are. <laughs> you know who you are, yeah. I, yeah, you know I who never you are. really got on the Darkflight, uh, like, Darkflight um, hype train. I Dark avoided I avoided Aphelios because I knew he was going to get like like nerfed. I thought he would get nerfed more than he did. Like he stuck around for lo- like for an extra patch because they didn't nerf him hard enough in the first one. Um, but personally, just like once once a reroll comp or something like that becomes broken and everyone in my lobby is playing it, I actively avoid it just because I want to play flex and I really dislike playing quote unquote like broken comps for LP knowing that it there's a there's a chance it just gets nerfed, right? Um and then truth be told, I probably should have gotten into the Rengar like meta, I should have learned the Rengar comp a lot more, uh, a lot earlier. But I personally thought that Soy Siphon was just like was was really, really strong for what it was. Um uh, Well I guess I like, mean like I, 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 I guess I mean like not even like how good is it. I just mean like oh, how good what is do it? you just think like, about oh, how do I like it? Well what do you think about it from a design perspective? It's like what uh, I, I think it's say. something interesting like yeah, I feel like it's an abomination. It. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like there's some world where they can maybe make it work, but it's like yeah. no one's gonna. The amount of time they have to put towards designing it versus yeah. like you know, like some things are hard to balance. Like whispers is nearly impossible to balance. Um, like you're just always gonna have it. Astrals from like a coding perspective is near impossible to code because you yeah. just have a million bugs. And then dark flights is just like from a balancing perspective um, and like a, a design nightmare. perspective. It's like a combination yeah. of all of the things. It's just, yeah, it's just yeah. so hard to... You'd have to have an entire set... Uh, sorry, an entire dev team like just dedicated to the dark flight component of, of the set. <laughs> Pretty um, much. And they obviously... So you they have, obviously you have a dark flight division. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't yeah, have yeah. the resources to put, put that much yeah. thought into I think that like... Yeah. I think for me, like the, what I dislike the most about it is like it violates so many like... Of like, just like... like Okay, how do I say this? Like, it violates so many fundamentals of like the game, yeah. if that makes sense. In terms of like how you play, sure. how you play and approach the game, it it, it like changes so dramatically with like how Dark Light works, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you play multiple copies of the same unit to get stronger, and then like mm-hmm. you like you, you sack you, you like sack a unit that like doesn't really do anything, and, and then like and like so it's like like you you you're automatically down one unit in terms of how you build your board, and then. Like it, it completely like breaks like item economy. Like you, you just like plus like four or five items for no reason. So, uh, oh, yeah, when that's... when people were learning how to play the comp. So after it got hot yeah. fixed, like quote unquote hot fixed, and it was still playable. Like it was still a really strong comp. Uh, a lot of players were learning how to play the comp, 
And what they quickly realize is you're supposed to just send it down to zero gold because it doesn't matter. You secure yeah. your top four. Like, you yeah, just send yeah, it down yeah. to zero gold, hit multiple copies of the same unit, and then you can just go to the toilet. and like <laughs> You just play the thing that says Darklight on it and put it on the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, you top you four, and there's so top. many... There were so many players who were like sitting on 50 gold. They were trying to manage yeah. their econ decently well. They were trying to yeah. build econ on seven so that they could eventually go to level eight on four five. It just does not matter. You just send it to zero on three two if you need to. Send it on send it on level seven three five if you want to, and you'll make it to level eight eventually. It doesn't matter. You've already secured your top four. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's just not pretty, it's not good to have. Yeah, it's it's pretty gross. Yeah. I mean, from, like, a competitive standpoint, like, I, I don't really, like, care what people play, if that makes sense. Like, you just play what's strong. Yeah. It's, like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, no, if no, that's I, what's... I have no, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. against players. Who yeah, I have zero, yeah, I have zero problem with people actually abusing it on ladder and stuff. I just mean the way in the sense of, like, I don't know if this should exist or if anything like this should ever exist again, if that makes that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I just mean, like, yeah. I think for me, like, the thing I just really dislike about it is how much it, like, how much it breaks, like, item economy. Like, it just, like, breaks economy, like... It just breaks item economy like in such an egregious way. Like, mm. like you just like because you know, if you think about it, right? It effectively makes like four or five items, like assuming you play it properly, and like for basically no reason. And yeah, all right, that's that's the dark fight rant. All right. <laughs> you guys, uh, you bring up a really interesting point there. Something that I just want to quickly like talk back to when you say that the TFT team's brains. You know, like, when you you eat too much, but you want to keep eating because the food's really good, and you're like, oh, your, bra your brain is bigger than your stomach? That's basically yeah. what the TFT team is like. Like, their brains are so huge, they come up with all this, like, sick shit, but there's, like, and They four, want it to work. And there's yeah. four people yeah. in the office having to deal with it for 23 hours a day. I feel like it's really amazing just how far the TFT, like, the TFT team has come in general, you know? We that's talk that's, a lot that's about, true. <laughs> we talk a lot yeah. about, like, how um sort of crazy it was like the early sets of tft the early patches um you know like <laughs> changes got made all the time but it was like they were just like they just had to react to whatever was happening at the time because like there weren't enough of them to make wholesale changes every two weeks all the time they were like oh shit okay we have to nerf this um we're like completely gutting this unit uh, we're going to buff this unit. Um, and there's just never really been, like, enough people on the TFT team to, like, keep up with just how innovative and awesome they've made TFT. So I guess one of my hopes would be, like, we get a Dark Flight division of the TFT team. Maybe, <laughs> you know? there, there is something to note about exactly what you just said. I found it quite interesting. Uh, on Twitter, I think it was, like, a week ago, someone posted um, an ad for, like, positions at TFT. And essentially what the role was, was doing exactly what Sol and I were uh, talking about, like debating on the existence of a certain trait uh, or interaction or an ability or something like that. And then how, from a design perspective, how does it actually fit into the current set? Is it going to be too difficult to, to balance around? The comparison that they made is they there already exists a League of Legends division that does this exact same thing. What they're looking for is high challenger, like high elo challenger players who, um, have, an, uh, who have an understanding of the game. And the comparison that they used was, for example, if you consider um, Prowler's Claw in League of Legends uh, with Pike, uh, initially they wanted it to be a blink. But then the problem with that is then if you have a blink on uh, on Prowler's Claw, then abilities like Pike's, uh, one of Pike's ability, which allows you to stun, it just guarantees the stun. And it makes the game really, really unfun because you just build that item, now you're guaranteed to hit your ability. And it's small things like that um, that you need to be figuring out from uh, before you actually implement it into the game. Because otherwise you've got all of these issues that you need to completely redesign how 
uh, how they actually work and it takes way too much time um and so i thought that was quite interesting that riot games is actually reaching out to uh, to people i had a look at the job uh, but it is actually uh, in na uh, like uh, in office so yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was quite interesting though no, even riot um, Look, 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 they're, they're opening a Riot Studio soon I in, in Australia, Copia, yeah, in Sydney. Sydney, yes. I think yeah. it's a Valorant, I believe. It is. I don't know, like, oh, funny story, Valorant. really funny unrelated TF, like, story to TFT, but, like, I found out recently that, um, what's it called? One of my ex-game uh, design teachers is actually now, like, the, the lead of, like, the Australian Valorant team, somehow, randomly. Oh, and, yeah, because, um, I think what happened was, basically what happened was, is that, like, at like new Riot Studio is is it used to be like a like a like an indie kind of studio. I think it's like called like Wargaming or whatever. Mm. And then that got acquired by Riot and now they're turning it into a Riot Studio is what's going on. Mm. And so mm. my teacher was one of the like lead lead devs for that studio and now he's getting transferred over to Valorant. Uh, that is very, very interesting. Just some trivia. <laughs> Many years ago, when Riot did have an office in Sydney, uh, a friend of mine uh, did work for that Riot Game Studio, and I got to visit it a couple of times down in Sydney. Uh, I'm glad that they, uh, you know, not related exactly to TFT, or maybe it will be. Who knows? There may be some crossover here eventually where this studio is used for uh, TFT-related events, you know? Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I think that, like, uh, having... A dedicated riot team in OCE can only be, hopefully, can only be a good thing. You know, let let's hope that it, it huh. becomes um, it becomes uh, you know, valuable to the the TFT community in OCE. Uh, and yeah. uh, you know, if you want to hire hire anybody, there's a lot of challenger players in this chat, right? If you're listening, that could probably use a job. I reckon, maybe. Uh, <laughs> Full flame. Whatever. <laughs> They play, they play too much TFT, they should probably get a job. I don't know, I'm an old man, like, I don't know, I'm just fucking around. Guys, look, we've got to the point where we're just insulting TFT players now. Um, that's pretty much going to do it for the main portion of our podcast. Uh, if you guys have uh, questions, uh, of course, uh, and you're listening to this live, you can do it. For those of us who, who do listen uh, to the audio-only episodes, you can join us, twitch.tv slash cutware, and there's a three instead of the E. Uh, or you can join our Discord, which is in the link of every episode, and you can ask questions in there for our guests. Uh, this is the part of the show where I hand it over to Sol, and, and we get some questions. Uh, we have a little back and forth. I think um, we've got a good one or two. Oh, we have a few. Yeah, we have, we have a few. Um, so I got one from uh, Icedrop. Who asks uh, which player impressed you the most in regionals? Um, unfortunately, like I said, a lot of the like the ones that I was looking out for uh, actually like got knocked out quite early. Um, but in terms of the ones that like stuck around and I got to see like a lot of their games, I'd say Percy's a player that I didn't really know too much. Um, uh, I think because he was uh, like a Zaya one trick, his line was very narrow, and obviously he made a lot of mistakes because he was playing around a very narrow line. Um, but one thing that really impressed me was his positioning. He knows the Zaya comp so much better than the majority of uh, OS Challenger players. Um, and so I learned a lot from his positioning and the way that he views a lot of the matchups, specifically into uh, specifically into Rengar, because obviously that's an unfavored matchup. Uh, but he had the mental that if you played around Barris, uh, you can actually win that matchup every time. And so I learned a lot from his positioning uh, and just the way that he viewed that. So he definitely impressed me in that area. And then uh, in terms of mental... I'd say that Huey, uh, uh, Huey's mental is unmatched. The fact that he went, I can't remember exactly, but it was like 7-8-8 or something. He had the worst three first games of regionals. 
uh, of uh, day three, and then he just comes back and and absolutely destroys the last three games. So the fact that you can have a mental that strong is really really impressive. And so I'd say for for the majority of the tournament, those those two players impressed me the most in those two respective areas. I think for me, the player that probably stuck out the most was uh, Aurora. Actually, like I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like most people didn't, me included, hadn't really heard of him before the twenty. Uh, yeah, I hadn't really heard of him too much like before the twenty, and then yeah, like they they did really really well. Um, like you know, making it to the final day and qualifying for LCQ. So I think like that was like very very impressive. Um, and then other than that, like, I think Huey's run on day three was also very, very, um, very, very admirable, right? Like, I think a lot of other players in that same spot would just mental boom out of the tourney and just, like, completely implode. But he managed to, he managed to really, really, like, he managed to like, a really, really, like, insane comeback. And that was, like, that was very good. So, yeah, I think, like, those were probably the two players that stuck out the most to me. All right, cool. Um, got a question from... Keith, who asks, Hi Tamura, my question is, what is your favorite unit and augment, and why is it Jason Celestial Blessing? I don't actually know the joke here. Can you yeah, yeah. The, joke, the joke here is, uh, one CB, uh, I made a huge blunder in my game one, where I didn't take CB when I was playing Guild, I was playing Spellsword Deja, and instead I rerolled it, and it was a prismatic CB as well, uh, and I just got absolute garbage. Oh, uh, okay. I'm a person who doesn't like CB in back-to-front comps, uh, but in that specific spot, it was really incredibly wrong to to pass CB3 there. Um, and so the the joke is also that like I learned a lot from from those VOD reviews. And then I think it's in day two and three. I think it was game day two, yeah, yeah, because we're doing VOD reviews of day two. I think I end up taking CB like three out of six of my games. Probably probably more, maybe four out of six of my games. Mainly yeah. because I'm playing Spoy Siphon. So if I'm playing Spoy Siphon, I'm always taking CB, CB2, CB3, and that comp is so good. Um, so that's the main joke there. Um, and then the one for Jace is uh, is because I don't really like Jace on the Soy Siphon board. I'm not a player who leans towards AP okay. items. I rarely ever play Jace on the Soy Siphon board. Um, as soon as I find a, a like a Yasuo or a um, a Yasuo Bard Soraka, like I'm just dropping the Jace most of the time anyway because I'm not playing around the Nar. I'm playing Jack Soraka. Um, and there was one specific spot where I decided not to hold onto the Jace when I was playing Clouded Mind uh, because I was it would have dropped it would have cost me thirty like the thirty gold interest mark um, and in total, I think if you do the maths, it, like holding onto that Jace would have cost me like close close to like uh, eight gold. So I didn't really want to hold onto it because I was cluttered mine, guaranteed fast eight. So I felt, and I was also guaranteed fast nine because I'm playing cluttered mine. So I just didn't want to hold onto the Jace from that spot. And I still stand by my play, um, even though it ends out in hindsight holding onto that Jace in that specific spot actually would have been like pretty decent because I don't hit the Yasuo that early or any of the other units. Um, but I still stand by my play. Uh, but that's just probably just a style. Uh, style difference but in terms of my favorite unit uh my favorite augment i think i actually had to do this uh leading into regionals i don't know if they I just think everyone did <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so what did i say my favorite augment was oh pandora's bench no matter oh, even okay. if that one sucks even if you like hit miss every single time the time that you do hit it's just way too satisfying um so pandora's bench if i'm ever playing on ladder like if i have a spot to take it i'll pretty much always take it uh, as for my favorite unit, um, I don't really think I have a favorite unit this set. Um, I don't know why. I feel like I always have fun playing Olaf. If I get an Olaf drop at 2-1 and I have a, a line to play it, I feel like I always have fun playing Olaf. So that'll probably be my favorite unit. I feel, I feel like Olaf especially is like so weird in that like he either like, he either reached like the critical breakpoint of like 
stacks and like combat all items. Yeah, one he just one shots everything. Or like yo, you you don't reach that breakpoint, and he just like doesn't do yep, enough damage, gets CC'd, dies in a hole, and you're like, the fuck's going on? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, sure. uh, I, mean, I I have played my fair share of my soldiers. I do my like. Uh, as long as we're not right. Sin Ola. Last, last set, when it was Sin Ola, yeah. I hated it. I hated it with a passion. Oh, like, true, true, watching true. People, okay. have you... Watching people abuse that, yeah. That's a good question. Have you have you played much Sin Ola this set at all? I feel like every time oh, I've no, done this it, it's so rare. It's so hard to... No, no, but, so hard yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, but I feel like every time I've come up, I've tried it, and it just feels like shit. And I don't understand what the difference is, because I wasn't an Olaf abuser in set 7. Uh, I don't actually know what the difference I... is. The, yeah. the main difference, I feel like, is because this set we have Pantheon. So you just position him next to the Pantheon. Mm. Pantheon applies anti-heal and shreds yeah. MR and armor. So when you're playing Sin Olaf, sure, it's good into the comps where uh, where you're one-shotting the backline. But you win those matchups anyway when you have a, like, a three-star Diana yeah. with good items as well. Um, I feel like this set, you just position it close to the Pantheon and then I think, you're I think it fine. also Yeah, I think it also would make yeah. sense that, like... There just aren't that many, like, squishy backlines this set in comparison mm. to previous sets. Like, it's really just Sire. A lot of these other backlines are playing around like like big dragons like like Deja, Elshin, stuff that are actually like quite tanky. Um, especially when playing around like Guild and stuff. So yeah. Mm. Like you, I think I think with Sin Olaf this set in particular, like you win the matchups you already win harder, and mm. then you lose the matchups that you could have potentially won if you weren't Sin Olaf. That's probably Yeah, uh, I, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those like it just comes up so infrequently. I like yeah. It just feels like there's not even like a correct like there's not even like a good amount of data. I, I don't even think I've like, had say. it. Like honestly, this yeah. whole set, I don't think I've had seen all yeah, of this. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I've had a couple of twice. I feel like that's yeah. that's probably well above average. Uh, okay, I got a question from uh, Daniel Elridge who asks, uh, "Who was your biggest threat uh, in the last day of the tournament?" Um. So. Because of my championship points, I was playing for first. I couldn't qualify to worlds directly unless I went exactly first. So I'd probably say. It'd be someone like like my the three that I was probably looking for the most was like um Obo, Hewing, Kade. Because they all are players, like they're all very like uh, very high ranking players. Uh, they obviously know how to go first. And I feel like if any of those three players was uh, at a similar score level to me going into the final two games, it would be very hard for me to play for a first um uh, over them. Uh, luckily uh, I managed to be able to just play for top four for the majority of the day and then not have to play for first. But I feel like um, against any of those three players, I'd probably be outmatched in the uh, fast nine, like play for first or eighth play style. All right. Look at this. I think that's all the questions I had prepared. Um, so, yeah. Do you want to yeah, do the next 30? To be honest, I think, um, look, I, I really, I would like to end as we always do on, on shows like this and, and say a big thank you to to our guest for joining us tomorrow it's been excellent i'm, I'm really looking forward to watching your uh, performance coming up at worlds thank you it's been um it's always, always fun to be on on the podcast a lot talking about tft and it's been uh, oh yeah yeah it's been a pleasure being here i guess if yeah I had, if i had one final question for you tomorrow it's uh you know when, the last time we had you on i mean it was quite a long time ago now um, compared to uh, where the state of the game is now and where your life is. I know you're close to finishing a lot of your university stuff off. So um, I guess I, w- I want to give you this opportunity to sort of talk about any any content you might have coming up planned or, or anything you- you're going to be doing around uh, like YouTube content for Worlds or anything like that. Will you be uh, streaming extra, preparing, anything like that? Uh, definitely in terms of Twitch, I think my main focus will be, my main focus will be on, uh, VOD reviews and just grinding NA ladder, and the majority of that will be, will be streamed. 
in terms of YouTube, I don't have any huge plans. Um, I want to focus on just getting my, um, getting my NA account to a, to a high enough rank where it's actually like, I feel like I'm learning stuff from playing the games. Um, so I'll definitely be doing a lot of streams. Um, I don't really have that much of an excuse to, to not be, to not be streaming or to not be putting in the hours because, uh, uh, all my exams and stuff will be done in the next like two weeks. Um, so yeah, th that'll be my main focus. Um, and then I've never done a 24 hour. So that's something that I want to try. I think the most I've done is like 18 hours. Dude, um, do, it. do you mean like a, do you mean like a true 20, do you mean like a true 24 hour? Oh yeah. Like, like, yeah. like what you actually do? It's like, yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't yeah, done no, one of those yeah, yeah, I've done like fake twenty four hours before, but yeah. Oh, fake ones. Okay, I've done it. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it wasn't even that bad, to be honest. I oh, think, those are fine. I think. Yeah. yeah, I think if I'm enjoying the, if I'm enjoying the set enough, or like I'm like I'm enjoying the games enough, then it's not too bad. You like um, you you stream yeah. like pretty late though, right? Usually, I feel like I, I'm not oh, sure. Oh yeah, if I have, you, you actually yeah, are. if I have a full day of um, if I have a full yeah. day of uni, I stream really late, and then also consider that I'm Western time, so like when I yeah, start yeah. stream. If I start streaming, like, quote-unquote late for me, it'll usually be 9pm, but then that's, like, yeah. I don't know if it's daylight saving time, but that's, like, minimum. Oh, that's right. Hours. Okay, okay, that makes more sense. Okay, okay, yeah. I, I think I get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. it appears later sure. than it actually is. Yeah, okay, okay. Exactly. Cool. Like, last, I think it was, like, last <laughs> night I did a stream quite late. I started at, like, 11pm and then ended oh, okay. at 3am, but then yeah. for everyone else that's, like, <laughs> like in New Zealand, 3am is, like, what, 6 hours or 5 hours ahead, so they're, they're all waiting. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, 9am for them. <laughs> Yeah, they're all waking up in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're literally all waking up. I reckon I've probably caught like two of your streams live ever because you stream after I go to bed basically every day. Yeah. Every day. So, uh... <laughs> oh, it's convenient for me because like he's still streaming when I, I usually finish. Usually, it's just, like it's it's perfect. Yeah, you know, I can just I can just write him. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's the thing though. Like now that I'm done with uni, like the my streaming was always scheduled around uni, so I would go to uni for six hours and and do it, get everything done, then come home and stream. Um, but you'll if you like go back to like a, like like three months ago when I was streaming during the uh, during the breaks and things, my streaming times vary a lot more. Like if I want to stream for a certain day, I'll wake up at ten a.m. in the morning and then just start stream. And then that's what usually when you get the longer stream times. Because if I start streaming at ten a.m., if I have yeah. a good day, I'll stream for twelve hours and then it'll be ten a.m. to ten p.m. and like that's fine by me. Jesus. Well, I I've done uh, two fake twenty four hours. Uh, my second most yep, recent couple of months ago was. I did 19 hours, and then 3 hours of sleep, and then 2 hours, and that nearly fucking killed me, because I'm a boomer. Um, so my advice would be yeah. to, like, stock up on water or something beforehand. Water helps. Oh, water, oh, water and energy God. drinks and coffee. That's my, that's my yeah. go-to. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Just, uh... Save, like, the energy drinks and the coffee for, like, the last, like... Oh, yeah, you can't you know, use it, you can't use four. it at the start. Yeah, 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 you gotta use it for, like, the last 3-4 hours, you know? Like, when, like, when it's just yeah. a little bit more to go, that's when you pop the energy drinks. And don't order yeah, pizza sure. as well. That was my mistake last time. I had pizza and I was oh, like, okay, did you eat and then you get bloated and oh really? Oh, did you just feel too bloated? Uh, Is that the reason? Yeah, I was just yeah, 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 yeah. Like, so food. So don't eat something, <laughs> too, don't something too like heavy. That would be my advice. Mm. Nice. I'm getting all getting all the advice. <laughs> Making myself accountable. Like the more that I mention it, like the the more that I mention it, the like the the more I have to do it now. At some yeah. point. Yeah. Like, I mean, you mentioned it on the pod at this point, so it has to happen now. It has to happen at some point now. You're like hard locked yourself now. It's too late. You can't back out now. <laughs> I'll, I'll, put, I'll put this up to the socials so everybody knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, pretty much that's going to do it for us tonight. You know what? Um, I want to thank everybody who tuned in and joined us live. Uh, like I said earlier, you can catch us live. Uh, we always post about it. Uh, today it was only sort of two hours before we started. Um, but, you know, 
if you do want to catch us live, it's twitch.tv slash cutler. I want to say um, a big thank you to my co-host, Sol, for joining me. It's me, as always. Um, I know that some of you who listen to the audio wouldn't have seen that, but Sol just nodded directly at me. That's, that was what he did. So, um, uh, yeah, perfect uh, audio means. I'm, I'm really glad that we do record this live for reasons uh, like that. And, of course, another big thank you to uh, Tamura, our guest for this evening. Where can uh, people find you on the internet if they're looking for your content? Looking for content, Tomorrow 77 uh, You can find me, Tomorrow 77 tft on YouTube, uh, Tomorrow 77 on Twitch, and then it's, I think it's Tomorrow 77 underscore YouTube on Twitter, if you want to follow that and get even more updates. Wonderful. Uh, Sol, where can everybody find you? Uh, yeah, Sol underscore TFT on Twitch. Yes, that's where I usually am. Um, and for me, guys, uh, I don't really stream that much anymore. Uh, I, I work a lot more than I, I did a couple of months ago. It's even six months ago now, so uh, you can catch me on Twitter at CutlerTFT or here whenever we do the live podcasts. Uh, but guys, that's uh, yeah, that's really going to do it. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Wall Down, and uh, if you stick around after the show, we will uh, raid somebody and get out of here. So thank you very much, guys, and uh, thank you to uh, Sol and Tamara. Sweet. Thank you All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for coming on tomorrow. Thank you. All right. Take care, everyone.